Welcome to Bayou Business Download, a podcast from the Greater Houston Partnership where we dive into the data and analytics influencing the region's economy. Today is Thursday, February 3rd. I'm your host, AJ Mistretta, and I'm joined once again today by Partnership Senior Vice President of Research, Patrick Jankowski. In this episode, we're talking about how people actually get around. We're going to look at metrics around air travel as well as vehicle sales and what they tell us about our recovery. Patrick, thanks for joining me today. AJ, it's always good to talk to you about the economy. Awesome. Well, Patrick, I, I want to start our discussion today with a look at the latest figures we have on air traffic here in Houston. First, for our listeners to understand the new numbers, it's probably a good idea to look at where we've come from. What did traffic look like through our two major airports pre-pandemic, and how much did it drop as a result of, of COVID in 2020? Well, in, in 2019, that was a, a record year. We had just just shy of 60 million passengers passing through our two airports. And, and so got to put that in perspective, roughly 60 million people passing through. And then, and then in 2020, the worst year of the pandemic, we had just over 24 million. Hmm. So passenger traffic was pretty much cut in half. We'd seen a nice long progression of passenger growth in the Houston region. If you go back from, to 2010, we had just under 50 million. 2019, under just under 60 million. So we were adding roughly a million passengers a year up until the point of the pandemic. Uh, we saw passenger traffic drop by 95% early on in the pandemic. In, in April of 2020, the first full month of the pandemic, the Houston airport system handled fewer than 250,000 passengers. And in, in that month, in the month of April, in a normal month, we'd be handling close to 5 million. So, you know, put that in perspective that 250,000 passengers handled through the month of April, that's roughly 8,000 passengers a day, or that's roughly only about 500 passengers an hour. So we saw just this huge drop off as people, rightly so, were a little bit paranoid, a little bit scared, not knowing how to behave or how to react and just pull back both business and leisure travel. So now we know how the pandemic actually affected the system. The arrival of vaccines last year, though, brought some confidence back to travel as we as we know it, right? Well, a couple of things we've seen happen. Uh, we, we started to see an improvement in, in airline passenger traffic actually in the middle of 2020. Uh, it, it wasn't dramatic improvement, but we did start to see an improvement around June, July, August. Uh, part of that was the airlines put protocols in place for how people can board, how people can travel. Part of it is more people were willing to wear masks. And part of it was just a necessity. Some people simply had to fly around to get to where they needed to go. And so we saw passenger traffic pick up, but we couldn't make up for the, the, the losses that we had. It was roughly about half the normal level we would have through the second half of 2020. You know, the real takeoff started towards the end of 20 and really in the beginning of 21. And that's what you talked about, the vaccines. As people became more vaccinated, they became much more comfortable with travel. And what we saw was really a pickup in leisure travel more so than business travel. And we're looking at, you know, at the rate we're going, we should get back to normal levels of passenger traffic pretty darn soon. So beyond the necessity, the idea that people are traveling for work, they're traveling to visit family, what have you, uh, what do you see overall fueling the resurgence in traffic? I think we've learned how to live with the virus. Hmm. 
I think we've, we're, I wouldn't say we're comfortable, but we've learned to adapt. It's the same thing which has occurred with the resurgence of movie theater ticket sales, same thing which has occurred to the occurrence of people attending sporting events or, or going out shopping. We wear masks, we've been vaccinated, we social distance. We try not to crowd people in line ahead of us. And vaccination has helped significantly, but also the fact that we realize that pretty much we've, we've gotten this far, we think we'll probably get through it all the way. We will survive. Got it. So, I mean, obviously we talked about this a little bit, but you know, things could have been better uh, in 2021, certainly, if not for Delta last summer, and then the Omicron surge before the holidays. How much do you think that set the recovery of air travel back? You know, AJ, this is, I guess, one of the frustrations of working with the podcast and not having a slide that I can put out there. If, if you look at the line, you know, the slope of the line, here I am an economist using nerdy terms. Uh, <laughs> we were seeing a, a, a nice upward slope of the line, and then we saw a dip with the surge in Delta. We started to pick up again as Delta started to recede, and we started to see some growth again in October, November. But then we started to see it drop again. And so the, the, the trend is upward but it's not as steeply upward as it would have been. Now, to kind of put it in perspective, uh, it was an improvement, but not as much as we'd like. December 2020 was actually down about 61% from 2019. Mm-hmm. December 2021 was only down about 15% from 2019. We talk about Omicron, but we also need to realize we started having some really bad weather in December, and especially in January. And that's going to be one of the things that's going to be hard to uh, ferret out of the data for airline traffic is how much of it was Omicron and how much was the fact that no one was flying anywhere because everyone was iced in. Yeah, so multiple factors hitting us at the same time. Uh, Before we leave the topic, some big news for Hobby Airport recently, right, Patrick? Yeah, we should all be proud of it. We always like it when we're, we're, we're ranked near the top. And, and Hobby was, uh, received a five-star international ranking. It was one of 16 uh, of the, the different airports across the globe that received the five-star ranking. And the five-star ranking, it was put together by a group out of London. Uh, the, this group in London has been doing it for a while. The group is actually called Skytrax. Yeah. And they've been doing this actually since 1999. Now, Javi is one of 16 airports worldwide to receive a five-star rating. Uh, Bush Intercontinental, it received a four-star rating. And that's the fifth consecutive year for it to receive a, a four-star rating. So uh, if we're flying in and out of Houston, we're lucky that we have some very high-rated airports to do it with. I live on the uh, south side of downtown, so I'm very partial to Hobby Airport and love the convenience uh, of, of that airport. So I'm, I'm excited uh, excited to see them get some accolades because I think they do a great job down there. Well, you need to think about it. We have not had international service out of Hobby that long. It's just been a few years. And most of the services, it isn't long-haul service like we get out of Intercontinental, but we can get to Latin America and we can get to the Caribbean. So it does give us some really nice travel options here in Houston. Absolutely. Uh, Before we continue, uh, Patrick, I want to take a moment to say thank you to our Bayou Business Download sponsor, Fifth Third Bank, for making today's podcast possible. Learn more about Fifth Third Bank and the services they provide at 53.com. That's the numbers 53.com. Patrick, let's switch gears now to another way people like to travel. And of course, that's by car. Before we kind of get into the specifics there, why should someone who's not in the market to buy a car care about vehicle sales? Oh, it's vehicle sales are important because it's a great indicator of consumer confidence. You know, most rational 
consumers, most rational human beings, aren't going to go out and take on a, a four or five or six year note on a vehicle if they're worried about losing their job. Hmm. So if people are worried about their financial situation, they're not going to spend. So as car sales go up or down, pretty much tracks what we see happening in the overall uh, Houston economy. Uh, l- let me give you a case in point. One of the best years for car sales on record was well, two of the best years were 2014 and 2015. In 2015, we sold over 376,000 vehicles. That was kind of the tail end of the fracking boom. And then we saw vehicle sales start to drop off as the fracking bust got worse mm. as we were dealing with this uncertainty in the local economy. Got it. So that's, you know, kind of gives you, gives us perspective on, on a peak and a dip. Uh, what did vehicle sales look like in, uh, in 2021? And how did that compare with the first year of the pandemic, 2020? Okay, we did last year, last year beating 2021, we did roughly 274,000 vehicle sales. That's both okay. trucks, SUVs, and sedans, cars. Uh, that's actually up from 2020. 2020, we only did 248,000, so we sold about 26,000 more. But you need to kind of put it in perspective. Early on in the pandemic, no one was buying anything. Once again, getting back to this concept of consumer confidence, people were afraid to spend. They did not know what their financial situation was, was going to be like six months down the road. And also, they were afraid to go out and just walk on the car lot and breathe the air with the vehicle salesman, I guess. <laughs> and so we saw a significant drop off in vehicle sales in April and May and June. And then they started to pick up as people became a little bit more comfortable with their job situation and a little bit more comfortable going out in public. So, you know, I, I've been on a car lot in the past year and the experience is markedly different than what it used to be. Talk, if you can, about some of the supply issues that are impacting vehicle sales. I personally was not able to get the car that I wanted because that was going to take a lot longer than it, than it would normally or would have before the pandemic. What are, what are the supply issues that, that companies are, are facing? Well, the biggest one is the one everyone hears about is chips. Uh, vehicles are, are so much more complicated these days. If we had a pandemic 20 years ago, gosh, let's hope we were 20 years ago, when we had less electronics in the vehicles, production would have ramped up a lot quicker mm. because you didn't have things controlling. You didn't have cruise control. You didn't have climate control. You didn't have things controlling your brakes. You didn't have your electronic speedometers and so forth. And that's the big one. But there's also the issues which parts, especially parts which might be sourced from overseas. Uh, whenever a port shuts down, whenever China shuts down a, a city because of an outbreak, whenever there's a concern o- over the, the COVID virus affecting one of the plants in Mexico or Canada, that has an impact on the ability to get the parts that are needed to build the, the vehicles here in the U.S. Okay. So how is that actually affecting the prices of the cars, trucks, and SUVs that actually are being sold? It, it's AJ, it's the fundamental, most fundamental principle in economics. It's supply and demand. And if you have fewer vehicles to be sold and you have the same level of demand, prices are going to go up. I mean, it's amazing. You drive down I-10 and you look north, you look south at the dealerships and it looks, uh, it is so sparse. It, it almost looks like attendance at a Houston Texans game. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say that. The Texans should do better next year, but it is, there's so few vehicles on the lots. And uh, another way to look at it is look how few ads you see from the local dealers on, mm. on, on radio or on TV pushing their product. 
Yeah, yeah. And so the supply and demand, and it's come back. Uh, it just amazes me. The average price of a vehicle sold in Houston in December was a little over $49,000. I remember my parents bought their first home 50 years ago. They only paid half that for their home. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is at $49,000, that's up $6,000 from earlier in the year. So that's $6,000, you know, you spread that out o- over a, a five-year note that adds at least another hundred dollars a month to your car note. Yeah. If you're paying 500, now you're paying 600. If you're paying 600, you're paying 700. You know, that's another, we worry about people getting priced out of housing. We're also going to maybe get to where they cannot afford to buy a new car. They're going to have to put more money into maintaining and repairing the one they have. Yeah. It's a very different uh, environment than we were in a few years ago when it comes to vehicles. Um, but, but this too shall pass. I, I mean, we're going to, it'll be a little while. We're going to work through the supply chain issues. The chips will be uh, manufactured. One of the other issues, the reason why new car prices are so high is because used car prices are so high. And one of the reasons why used car prices are so high is one of the sources of used cars are, are rental fleets. And when we first had the pandemic, Hertz and Avis and all those companies did not know what's going to happen. So they sold off a lot of their fleets. And so those cars flooded the market early in the pandemic, but now they're holding on to everything they have because they're having a hard time sourcing. So we're not seeing as many used cars entering the market, which is therefore affecting the price of new cars. Yeah. Such a cascading effect. Uh, when we talk about these, the, the supply chain and the evolution of the supply chain, right? It, it, it's, it's all linked. Yeah. Before we wrap up, Patrick, you're giving regular updates on the state of the economy again this year. When is your first update coming up uh, and what are you going to be talking about? Okay, so everybody needs to know we're going to be doing it quarterly updates. We're going to do four updates. So the first one's going to be March 19th. And we're going to be uh, looking at, by then we should have the benchmark revisions for the employment data. And we'll, we'll truly know how many jobs we created in 2021. And so we'll have a, an update as to where, uh, how far, how the year has started and what it looks like uh, the middle part of the year will be. And then after that, we are going to have in, in May, we're going to have our Global Houston event. And of course, in December, our employment forecast. Fantastic. Well, uh, looking forward to that. I know a lot of our listeners are too, to figure out wh- what they can be doing to uh, better set themselves up in their business. That's our goal is to try to get good information out there so people can make better informed decisions. Absolutely. Patrick, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. AJ, always a pleasure. And that's it for this episode of Value Business Download. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can do so via your favorite podcasting platform or by visiting the podcast page at houston.org. There you'll also find links to recent data and news updates and learn how you can get more involved in the work of a partnership to make a difference in Houston. A special thanks again to our sponsor, Fifth Third Bank, for helping make this podcast possible. And thanks again to you for listening to Bayou Business Download. 